on this episode of Drinks and Discourse, we're going to do things a little different. Um, before I met Keith and was an employee at Seven Hills, I was trying to start my own podcast called Breaking In, where I talked to small business owners and just got the feel of what it was to start a small business. Uh, Keith was the first person I reached out to because I would go to Seven Hills, enjoy the beer, the food, and just the environment. And he was on board. Uh, he wanted to tell he was willing to tell a story and just have some fun. So this podcast first aired, I would say it's going on 18 months now. Um, uh, I had never met Keith before, just reached out through some emails and we did the podcast uh, and this is what you're about to hear. So the reason why I'm doing this is first, just to kind of, it's been a while since we did Drinks and Discourse. Um, and then also maybe if you don't know the history of Seven Hills Brewing, um, you're not, you know, you're not familiar with what, how we started. Um, why did Keith and Abby get into the brew pub business? So this is a great way for you to know a little bit about the history of Seven Hills Brewing. And also I'm going to do, uh, uh, an updated version of this with Keith under normal drinks and discourse. Uh, so that'll be kind of exciting to kind of see what things have changed in the past 18 months, almost two years now, and what uh, and see if his goals are still the same, you know, and uh, just to see where he's at. Um, so this one has no video, so this is just audio only. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. And yeah, let's get started. You can only run for, from yourself so long, and uh, the calling was there, and uh, I uh, refused a calling once in my life, and. Uh, suffered from the experience. So I knew when this came, I had better answer it. So here we are. And, uh, you know, we're having fun. It's exhausting, but it's, it's, there's no, no better thing than, you know, owning yourself as an individual and everybody you know, from every employee in house kind of has that same mentality. And I think that's why the experience we offer is, uh, you know, top notch. Hi, this is Keith Gutierrez, Seven Hills Brewing Company, and we're breaking in to brew pubs. I love craft beer. And love just might be an understatement. It is exciting for me to visit a new city and find what local beer they have to offer. Being able to visit, to see everyone just enjoying themselves, to eat their food, and of course, drink their beer. That is part of the fun when I go on vacation and road trips. Dubuque, Iowa has been a growing city for quite a while, but it's always just lacked something. A place, an area where food and tasty beverages are a part of the town. Most cities have an area where you can just walk around, visit several different local restaurants, and get some great food, a cocktail, or even local beer from a brewery. Well, Dubuque was missing that. Luckily, Keith of Seven Hills Brewing had an idea to start a beer pub and fill that void of what he wanted in his town. Find out what it takes to create a brewery and a restaurant right after a message from our sponsor. UV Design is helping small and medium-sized businesses make an impact on the web. We all want to be seen and found. We want our business to stand out. UV Design helps make an impact on your business, creating custom, 
beautiful websites that drive traffic to you. Visit uvdesign.media and let them help you get seen today. Keith grew up on the south side of Chicago, and in 1999, he moved to Dubuque to attend Clark University and was attending physical therapy and playing volleyball. Keith changed majors and ended up getting a degree in social work and started working at a brew pub as a bartender. He fell in love with craft beer and the atmosphere that that brew pub offered. Keith moved back to Chicago to get his master's degree in occupational therapy. Missing that small town atmosphere, Keith moved back to Dubuque to practice therapy for six years. You're probably wondering, how does a brew pub fit into the dream of an occupational therapist? Um, the idea, I would say, kind of, you know, conceptualized when I was waiting tables at a restaurant to pay for grad school in Chicago. I was next to a winery. Um, they were busy as can be, and we were really slow. Our parking lot was full with their with their, their patrons, so I always would go over there after work or before, and you know they uh, they were they were brewing wine on a on a mass scale uh, micro winery, so they had the big steel vats similar to a brew pub, and kind of you know kind of reawoke my passion. Uh, thought how cool that would be to actually do a winery and a brewery in one. Um, in hindsight, I can't imagine the headache because uh, the brew pub is 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 more than enough at the moment. Um, but yeah, the actual long-term dream would be distillery, winery, brewery. Um, but after, you know, I just kind of thought that'd be a cool idea. Didn't really give it much thought. Like that was something I was going to pursue. Sure. Um, graduated. And like I said, got my, my degree, moved out here and practiced. And you know, I had a, a comfortable living. My wife's a master's in nursing. Um, you know, we're, we're sitting right in the middle class. The only thing that was lacking in this town was a place for adults to go. A lot of younger bars, and we both would always travel out of town, Cedar Rapids, uh, Chicago, uh, Minneapolis, Madison, go to brew pubs is kind of what we always do, and thought, man, I can't believe we don't have one in our own town that on that kind of scale, and thought, you know, that'd be cool. And then when our friends were starting to talk about the idea, a brewer, a chef, and a general manager, it got me excited, and I think kind of reawoken that, you know, a hidden uh, fire, and... uh when I saw the timing, the opportunity between what they were trying to do and my, what my father-in-law was doing, I kind of just grabbed each side, connected it, and then uh, kind of gave, gave birth to that formula. Some owners of breweries have been creating beer in their own house, making beer as a hobby for their friends and family, enjoying learning what it takes to come up with the best recipes, or just having fun trying out weird and unusual methods. There are even owners that are brewmasters for other breweries, learning the business side, learning how to mass produce, and then wanting to open up their own spot. What path do you think Keith took? I gave home brewing a, uh, a whirl. It wasn't, it wasn't my thing. I, uh, I was more of a hobbyist. Um, but, you know, I have a medical background in science, and I've always been just naturally really good at chemistry. Um, my teacher at Clark University when I first got there tried to convince me to become a chemistry major. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because she's still there, and now they're introducing like a beer class. So now I kind of reconnected with her. She loves beer, didn't realize I love beer in college, and and here we are. Um, no, I've kind of more or less wanted to kickstart or launch the idea because I've always kind of felt like a natural leader and uh, started in sports. I was always captain of the teams. I've been a president of a lot of clubs. So never really thought I'd ever be in business. Never had the desire. I've always uh, kind of wanted to stay away from it, but you can only run from, your, from yourself so long. And uh, the calling was there, and uh, I uh, refused a calling once in my life and uh, suffered from the experience. So 
I knew in this game I had better answer it. So here we are, and uh, you know we're having fun. It's exhausting, but it's it's there's no no better thing than you know owning yourself as an individual and everybody you know from every employee in house kind of has that same mentality, and I think that's why the experience we offer is uh, you know top notch. The time is now to start following your passion. Keith realizes that he has three amazing friends that want to open up a brew pub, and they all bring different skill sets to the table. One's a general manager, another is graduating culinary college as a head chef, and another is a brewmaster. He knows he's the guy to lead them into this new adventure. The next thing you do is get his wife on board with his dream. When do you even have this discussion? It's a little bit more serious than what paint do we pick out for the living room or what do we want to make for dinner tonight? It's also important where to have this discussion. I, it was during, she had a surgery on her back and we were up in Madison. Um, kind of a, a weird scare. She had a, a non-cancer tumor on her spine. So we went to see a specialist. And it was like during that week and she's healing, I was on the phone talking to, uh, you know, the idea was kind of sprouted. And she was like, really, you want to open up a brewery right now? And we're, we're pregnant with our kid. I just had a back surgery. We have two, we have a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old and I was like well if it if we can get through this and without killing ourselves you know in each other I go hey, the rest of life should be easy you know it's like well, let's maximize my you know my stress to the max um you know she definitely there's a she and I love it because she's always skeptical and I and I want her to be to question my uh my sanity at times so I'm not delusional but I think she knew, um, she tried like her father. I think she trusted that, you know, I would give it my all and I don't, I'm a very hard worker and I'm passionate and, uh, I'm, I'm a man of my word. If I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Having a reliable support system always makes starting a business a lot easier. Knowing you have people you can lean on, vent some frustrations to, and people with the same passion as yourself helps a lot. Opening a brewery is not cheap, especially when you want it to also be a restaurant. There are a lot of costs involved, from brew equipment to furnishing a kitchen to the decor and a million other little things. Let's just say for now, starting a podcast network and opening a brewery are completely different ends of the financial spectrum. Keith wanted his brew pub to be created in his way, wanting a place where people could gather and enjoy themselves and not worry about seeing a million TVs or having the music too loud where you can't even enjoy a conversation with someone. He even has a little motto, phones down, pints up. I can live with that. With all this in mind, he knew he wouldn't be able to just walk into a bank and ask for a loan. With zero background in business and zero background in making beer, Keith had to find an alternative way of getting the capital to create his dream. It's funny because that kind of brings me back to a story. I didn't even, uh, I called him to ask for his blessing, but he was in uh, Rome and I couldn't wait till he got back. I'm pretty impatient. Most people know me. So I basically called him on the phone and said, hey, I'm going to marry your daughter, you know. Uh, I hope you say yes. If no, I'm still going to marry your daughter. Um, so I think that's kind of also my, you know, against the grain spirit. Um, but I knew, you know, I, we got married and I knew Gary for, you know, not, not that long, about a year. And I was in therapy and, you know, he actually experienced a traumatic injury on a snowmobile. And as a result of that, he had uh, lost some gross motor skills. And so I did a lot of rehab with him. And grew a very strong relationship with him. Um, you know, I did basically donated all my free time just to help him. When he would come, he'd come down once a week. Then my brother-in-law kind of stepped up and uh, started running the, the family business. He was already part of it. So, you know, I we just would. I got to know him very well, very intimate. When you, you know, are working with somebody from their, their ground up, 
so uh, metaphorically, it's kind of like we, I helped build Gary back up. And then I returned Gary, you know, and not, not intentionally helped build up, you know, this, uh, we call it the love child. You know, this, this is our fourth child, me and my wife say, because <laughs> it's still in infancy and it's one of the hardest, uh, the hardest times is the first year of raising anything. Right. So, but yeah, Gary, um, been very successful in business, very well respected. He was one of the last small, uh, dairy, uh, businesses on the side, of, on the butter side of, you know, a lot of, uh, small family businesses were bought out. Um, so in the, in the end, they ended up selling the two separate creameries they sold to Land O'Lakes and to Grassland. Um, and those big uh, corporates had been kind of toying with buying out Gary for years, but offering next to nothing. So they just kind of giggled at him and said, get out of here. So when they came to the table, Jason, my brother-in-law, said, they gave us an offer we can't refuse. And he kind of saw the light down the tunnel with how the market was going. And he got out at a great time. And at that point... Uh, I know how Uncle Sam likes to tax hard. And, and the idea for, on the other side with my friends was, you know, a verbal conversation for more than a year. And me and my wife kind of thought, man, they're not going to do it because it's really big. They wanted to go big. They didn't want to start small. Because right. uh, our brewer was a commercial brewer, not a small, <clears throat> like, home brewer. He actually went to school for it. So long story short, they um, it was just, I just saw two opportunities kind of happen at once. And I just don't pass things off as coincidence. So. Um, I just think my relationship with Gary and, you know, him trusting me on the uh, rehab side of things and giving him guidance and always being honest with him about what I think he should do in regards to, you know, his outcomes and seeing you know, the people he should, he, he trusted me. Like I said, I have no business experience. And I said, if you say no, I totally get it. Like right. I, I, that's a big investment. And he, his response was, you know, I was given a chance at your age when I had no experience. He's like, who am I to say no to that? You know? And I said, well, I'm glad you're, uh, I'm glad that happened then. So. <laughs> now with the most significant obstacles out of the way, it's time to start moving forward with the logistics of opening the brewery. How big do we make the brew pub? Where do we even build it at? You know, Main Street, we, we looked at every brewery in town in the, you know, in the past because we thought, hey, how cool it would be to go back into an old brewery. Oh, kind of just yeah, re restore, yeah, restore that, redevelop that. Um, there was no opportunity. Uh, Bricktown was the, the brewery that brew pub I worked at on 3rd Main. The rent was really high off the bat. We would have to have you know, to run our glycol lines and the boiler and all that, the mechanical side of the brewing uh, system. It just didn't make sense. Um, so we knew, like, and it was kind of like the Pearl Jam, uh, Nirvana, like, let's be that garage band that gets big. Right. So w what better place we found this uh, big square garage that was, you know, it had a big garage door and I was like, well, that's good. We could get our fermenters so we don't have to tear down half the building because that was our big concern. Everything that's developed on Main Street, it's, you know, it's already finished. We wanted to start rough. So it was, uh, it was no burner that we wanted to go into a brick and mortar, you know, historical building. Um, finding it, though, was really hard. Um, I prefer to be the owner of the building with the tax credits that we've been uh, applied for. Uh, most of the neighborhood is owned by, um, owned already with you know, the intent to do their build outs for anybody who goes in, which is, you know, why I said it was difficult, but we found a landlord who was willing to let us, you know, paint his building. And, uh, he's been very good to us and we've been very good to him and we have a great relationship and, you know, we're very happy that we found that we have a little guy who found the little guy in a sea of big guys. Now you may be thinking like, wow, Keith has been very fortunate. Nothing really has gone wrong or no significant roadblocks. His wife's on board. He has a great team of friends to help run the place has the working capital to open up, and he has even found the perfect spot with the perfect landlord. I was thinking the same thing during the interview. This guy is really, really lucky. 
Well, I should have known. There are some roadblocks. Sometimes people want to stand in your way of your dreams for what seems like no reason at all. How hard do you fight to keep your dreams alive? Um, you know, we kind of compared it. We, you know, we did like kind of a, you know, analysis of regional, you know, like what's going on in Galena, Potosi, Iowa City, you know, Des Moines and that, you know, we know we had a great, a great audience, the market, you know, Dubuque is very thirsty. If you look at, you know, the alcohol standards, Catholic, Irish, German. Yeah. You know, uh, so you know, we had a very rich history of brewing in Iowa from the early 1900s. And it's just, it's a, we always say it's unfortunate that Buke kind of started as the craft brewery place and then disappeared. And, you know, one of our ideas, part of the business philosophy is to restore that, our rich tradition of brewing back into our city. Cause it's weird when you look around and see, you know, Dubuque and Iowa is probably one of the top 10 cities, but when on the craft beer, we're not even, we're nowhere. And that's kind of frustrating. Um, when Decorah is bigger than us, um, yeah, it, it it really is. And, you know, going through the politics, I kind of have a better saying why. Because, um, like I said, our city did not embrace us from the start. And it was because they were very heavily influenced by individual business owners and developers who we tried to work with at first, realized their personalities didn't match. You know, we said we, res- we appreciate your craft. We respectfully declined because we can't afford you. And they basically um, did not like that. Uh, Maybe in, in this neighborhood, yeah. Yep, yep. In this in this Millwork District area, um, you know, and there's a lot of that good old boy mentality here in Dubuque. Um, uh, as a, uh, I call myself an exennial. I was born '81. I'm kind of, I never fit in anywhere. So you always say like I'm the godfather of the millennials or I'm the baby of the of the Gen Xers. Um, you know, I constantly hear that. You know, we're trying to the, the young the youth is trying to be very progressive. Yet like the good old boys club is still holding on to these ancient. We, not ancient these traditions and we're trying to break those and that's what a craft brewery does i mean we are exactly exactly you know we, we're not we we're manipulating what we have our environment so you know we know people want to drink here so we're gonna make good good suds good times and good food um so yeah that was just another part of the uh obstacles was getting back to uh you know in hindsight it'd be nice to have a community of a council that was more accepting especially right now and i had said that at city council when people are trying to you know stall stall us i said let us come down here i go just by the nature of our business model being a brew pub whether we make it or not we're going to bring in that first year a, a buzz and this area kind of hit a plateau and you know i'm not nostradamus i think anybody could predict that and once we did that two months later both three of these buildings around us got bought because i, and I knew a couple of the owners they were like okay brew pub's going here Boom, we're going to put a hotel here. Another guy was like, I want that realty. If I hold on to that a couple of years, that property value is going to skyrocket. So he's thinking from an investment. And then the guy who bought the hotel bought the other building and they're going to do small business uh, retail build outs. Um, so we are just that catalyst to help push, you know, this, uh, this, this reaction forward. Um, and I think now I've heard more businesses are coming down here because it's the vibrant, cool thing to be around. I've had moments of, uh, moments of truth where, you know, like I said, one of the developers told me on the phone, I don't know, I can name names, but the one that basically I could see pulling the strings on the council, one with the most money, um, told me if I didn't buy his building and if I put, if I put a bid in another one, if I didn't buy that, I'm going to lose the cool factor and fail. And my stomach dropped and I didn't know this guy. And they, everybody told me, thank God you didn't know him because you probably wouldn't have said it. Um, and I was like, you know, where I grew up, nobody says that to any, any respecting, hardworking person. 
And I was my 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 parents raised me pretty pretty passive, and I've always kind of had trouble with that. So it was my moment of truth to like grow a spine and you know yeah. defend myself. Sure. And I did. I just I think I, I turned my eyes. You know, I saw red, and I lit up on the phone. And even the realtor at the time goes, "Man, you must be crazy to say that to that guy." I was like, "No, f that. Who says this to right. to anybody? That's disrespectful." In my neighborhood where I grew up, they'd drag you into the back of an alley and smack you around. <laughs> it's just you know, it's like verbally spitting in somebody's face. So. That and then when I went to the council to amend the PUD because we wanted to just uh, essentially make sure that the definitions of the distribution part of what a brew pub was in our city didn't perfectly match with the state's definition. And by dealing with that individual, I knew that if anybody would come to try to stop stop us to just be a thorn, it would be him. So I was doing my diligence, sure. and because of that, they made this he made this tired story into this you know fear mongering, and we got it was very prejudicial. Uh, I got to the point where I was constantly uh, uh, contemplating, you know, lit litigation for, and then the city, I think told him is he needs to settle down and stop. So I heard we kind of broke some ties. It was never my intention, but at the same time, if, if these are oligarchical things, I'm happy to, you know, snip them all because right. it's, it's, you know, it's corporate cronyism. Yeah, so they shouldn't be able to straw man. No. Oh, exactly. I mean, our business plan was pushed back three months. That's that's money that's you know getting eaten up. Um, and then on top of that, it's just we're doing something so good for the community. Uh, one of the first things a lady said to the council, Mr. Gutierrez, are you even from here? I'm like, what the fuck does that matter? You know, because I don't have a, name, a last name that you see on a street sign here. Bringing money into this area. Another guy, how do I know you're not a nuisance? And I want to be like, how do I know you're not a pedophile? You don't like you don't know these things and you can't make these judgments. You have to give me the, you know, give me the opportunity. And if, and if I screw up, then you can come after me. Sure. This is a judicial system. It's checks and balances. So, and they, pull so many, they, pull for straw, right? they were, they were, they, the end comp, the end complaint when somebody's like, so what's the real, it was like, it was a circus. Somebody said they'd never say anything like that at the council meeting. What's the real reason what, that you're concerned to the individual giving me a hard time? Oh, noise and smells. And of course, you know, I can't hold back from being a smart ass. I was like, He's basically telling you guys you don't know how to do your job because there's noise and smells, you know, uh, ordinances already in these PUDs. So that's really, that's, that's a lie. And I said, plus, how do you measure that? How do you measure, how do you uh, analyze from a quantitative, you know, noise, oh, smells? Like, come on. It's subjective. <laughs> uh, you know, well, and my, my thing was, is common sense. There's, you guys can allow a sushi place to enter tomorrow. And you know, raw, you know, raw seafood place. It smells like fish. We're making liquid bread. It smells pretty good, you know. I did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's you. It, it was to anybody who had sensibility and reason and rationality, you could see right through this whole thing. But a lot of people kind of have the wool pulled over their vision. So, sure. um, and I'm sure I'm considered a, a rabble rouser. But you know, I don't. I'll I'll be even worse tomorrow if they try to do that to somebody else that's trying to be successful and take this huge risk. You know, in Cedar, Cedar Falls, Waterloo, single speed opened up. I don't know if you're familiar, cool place, very similar business model. Um, I mean, they're, they're us times three on that size. They renovated an old building, put in three times the amount we did. They, the city gave them the old building for a dollar and they helped them along the way. And I'm so jealous and a little bitter, you know, right. but yeah, you know, but in hindsight, you know, once I can kind of step back from detach from my emotions and look at it more rationally, I'm like, and I guess this is what they say, you know, those who overcome the hardest, you know, will have the most appreciation in the end. Right. So in the end, I just want, you know, to help anybody that's trying to start and go down this route. And I was like, hey, if you want to meet 
I'll buy you a beer. I'll let you pick my brain. I got, you know, you know, we kind of see, uh, and as a youth, we're not in this cutthroat, you know, uh, survival of the fittest and, and kill and compete. We want to cooperate. I would say compete with yourself, cooperate with others. We all win. With city council behind him, Keith moves forward into opening Seven Hills. He's applied for several different historic tax credits. During this process, he's learned the different ways some other businesses run their business. We're actually coming up on our anniversary date, sure. August 21st. Um, we signed, maybe it was one year, one month. We signed the lease July 1st of 17. Uh, we would have got, we would have been finished with the construction before that. The problem was we use historical tax credits and my, I'll, I'll take all the fault here. I'm not a patient man. So you would get to a certain point and then you'd have to wait for the, there's different um, steps along the way of these tax credits, like 1.0, 1.5, 1.2. So you have to get approval as you keep, you know, they have to review the architecture, okay the materials, okay the plans. It's not as simple as like new commercial. You have everything go going, you get the financing, and then it's, I mean, this hotel will probably be a year and it's four times the size of what we did. So, and I'm jealous. Uh, but, you know, the, our building is definitely, you re rehab a, a historical building. It's, you're restoring an, an old spirit to it. It's, people walk in our place and you just feel like a, a different vibe that they don't get when you walk into a, uh, you know, commercial place that, well, and that's a, another uh, a risk you take is with the tax credits is, you know, you can, you still have to be approved at the end. You know, right. you submit it and it's still like the majority of the time people get it, but you're still like, oh my gosh, I, I put in this extra money to meet their standards because you could save a lot more going new commercial. And then you still, it's a gamble like, okay, I, I invested, I invested, is it going to pay off? Right. No, we got the approval. We're waiting for the the return or at the last stage of it. Um so the architectural standards were all approved, and now they're just kind of doing a cost certification with a match of our accounting to basically, you know, make sure that we've spent the money on stuff we said. I have nothing to worry about there, you know, because I'm not. I never try to hide anything. Right. I'll tell people right right away. I paid eight thousand dollars for a freaking door that's not even uh, operable, <laughs> because these companies that make this historic stuff know that all the stuff behind it, so they jack up the price. Ah, it's uh, it's uh, it it is it's it's frustrating because um, I on the fiscally conservative side of me it that kind of irks me. But, you know, I mean, I'm also getting money back. So when you ask for something, you got to give something. It's just, I, I would design the entire tax credit differently, but you know, I'm not on their board, so I'll just shut up. <laughs> what does it cost to open a brewery is something you are probably wondering. The cost to entirely build out a restaurant, a brewery, pay extra costs to apply for tax credits that he's not even guaranteed to get. What is the cost? We are sharing this with you because we want to be as transparent as possible when talking with small businesses to help you understand that there are some businesses that are not cheap to open up. So let's find out what it costs to open up Seven Hills Brewing Company. I got to tell you exactly, $2.95 million. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And three, 300000 of that I got from a bank. The rest I got from my private investor. Yeah. That's love. He loves He's a, he, well, and you know what, Gary is, uh, he's a stand-up guy. There's not many people like him. I mean, I mean, he's, he stands at six foot seven. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little guy looking up. We look like uh, twins with Joe Pesci or right. <laughs> Danny DeVito and Arnold. Um, but Gary built a business from the ground up, uh, become, to become enormous. And like I said, he didn't blink twice. He's just a very kind, good person who just is, he's helped his community. I mean, he's probably given everybody a job in that town when they first opened. He's uh, Richland Center, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, you know, even in the business world, the dairy world, when we were 
looking at our tanks, the dairy, there are people who fabricated dairy tanks are now fabricating brewery tanks, you know, and I mentioned his name and uh, I mean, the conversation went for 360. I was just a normal person calling to, Oh my gosh, you should come for a tour. And, uh, we love Gary. And uh, I, you know, I see that everywhere we go with my wife and it's very, it's good because you know, I'm sure he's probably like any business guy probably upset the powers to be. Um, Gary's the most modest, humble guy. He's always tell, he's got the greatest one liners. He's, but more importantly, he's always like, stay low, stay on the radar. You know, he's like, I've seen way too many people get on their high horse and fall right back off. So, you know, I've very much tried to model my uh, business ethos and you know, ethics off of what he has done. Well, and he raised a great daughter, you know. Right, there you go. So, I, so I, think, I think his wife for that. <laughs> what a fantastic support system Keith has around him. People are believing in his dreams and showing their support. At the time of this interview, Seven Hills was approaching their one-year anniversary. How does Keith feel about the journey, the success of Seven Hills, and what he thinks the future has in store for his brew pub family? You know, it didn't, it never felt truly mine. You know, I just, I don't really kind of, I have that, that we philosophy, you know, um, I just don't see things as separate, which most people just don't get because they're like, what? So, you know, I, I always said, this is us, this is, you know, but on paper financially, it is mine, you know, on that side of things. Um, and that really never felt like that until recently, um, only because I haven't been able to breathe until like the last two months because we've been busy enough that I'm like, okay, now it's like, whew, now we can catch up on these deficiencies. Um, but, you know, when, when I, when we started winning awards in town and I'd have to go up and get them, it was like, and I still feel weird about it. My wife's like, her exact words are, you need to be better about receiving compliments because she's like, you almost become a jerk when you're not. Because, I, you know, I guess I'm like, I don't care about the compliments or the comments. I just want honesty and common sense to be a part of everybody's lives again. Um, so on that sense, but, you know, my wife's very, she's smarter than me. <laughs> so she's, you know, there wasn't until we get these awards that it's like, wow, this is real. Like this is, it's authenticated, you know. And the, mo the most important thing isn't that the money or the awards. It's people in the community saying, we love your place. I think that's what me and wife, my wife always makes a smile. It's like, you know, we're sharing this with them and we want their feedback. And, you know, it's not like, you know, what can you do for them and what can they do for you? It's a give and take. And we just love being a part of something that's, like I said, a spiritual force is way bigger than just me as an individual. Oh, <laughs> yep. Two, the two of the core members are no longer with us. Oh, really? Yes. And, uh, um, the, f the first that left did, did not, I learned a lot about being a leader and a boss that didn't go over well. Um, unfortunately I probably lost a best friend from it. Um, and, it, and that one was because of money. It was a management on, in, on that department side. And then on the other, the other department, uh, like I said, I always say like I'm the president and I have three, three branches, just like the government. So the two that were ahead in one, each of their own branches, the second, the, the second one left on good terms. Um, he was our brewer. He wants to start his own brewery. And I think he's going to, the irony is he said he'd only do big, but I think he's going to go small because of the finances, which is fine. And I think it's going to be a great experience. I think he's actually answering his calling. So, cause most people are like, aren't you mad? Aren't you pissed? And I'm like, no, I'm. I don't, you know, I put, I put a, he was a friend of mine. So I put his growth before my economic growth, like his growth as a human. And I want him to understand all the aspects of this business, not being an entrepreneur, because it's not easy. And I think he's got a respect for me uh, and I have respect for him. So he left, we hugged it out and left on good terms. And, you know, I've already called him today to ask about questions about excise taxes because he was kind of handling that. And now our assistant brewer is now our head brewer um, who he trained very well. So, 
you know, we all have that. We, me and him should have a vision to make, they make this area a better brewing area. So he's, he's in Illinois and he's working on a, you know, his business plan. And I told him, you know, I'm here to help you. Like, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what you shouldn't do. <laughs> I know you know what you should do. So, you know, learn, learn from my mistakes. Exactly. You know, the first year was just stay, stay alive, stay afloat. And like I said, we've really turned it around. I mean, we're standing right here in, in this event center, which once we get up to ADA code and tax credits are what's holding us back from actually doing the construction part of it, sure. which is a whole different thing. Um, but yeah, once we get this open, that'll be, it'll help us on a financial thing. Cause right now I'm paying rent and only doing private small events. So, uh, it's funny because I never had any desire to do this, but my landlord needed renters in here because he was struggling for the money side. So once again, it shows in, you know, you know, with the law of nature, like I'm giving it to my landlord now and then, you know, I'll get it back once we open and he's been helpful in other ways. So it's unique to find good people to work with. Um, so sorry to jump on tangent. So, you know, our plan is to get this place going, um, you know, work out the kinks over here. You know, we would love not, but nothing more than to do a production facility because we're hitting a point where we're at about, I'd say 50, 60% uh, uh, efficiency on our, our brewery system. Uh, we would like to max out at a hundred, which we're growing into. Uh, the brewers are very busy this summer. They've been doing an awesome job busting their tails. Um, but yeah, I guess the long-term goal in like 10 years or, or less, I just know that from the build out, I'm like, Oh yeah, we're gonna be open here. And then it's been a year after. So I'm going to overshoot instead of undershoot. Um, so in a 10 year plan, I'd love to do a, a production facility. You know, I'm working with a lot of outdoor enthusiast groups in Dubuque, whether it's trailer biking, running, and, you know, I'd like to work with them on plotting out, you know, where we can go in the County that something could lead up to like a trail, a bike trail or something that, so because the productive facility in the, in the winter, we probably wouldn't do anything for those six months because it's hard to get, I mean, it's hard to sustain it down here. So, but out there, I probably wouldn't do food. I just do food trucks. So I'd like to grow into a food truck probably in three or four or five years. Um, cause then I could service that other ones could, and then build a production facility, out, new commercial, you know, because all I need is a pole shed, you know, uh, you know, and if we did say we did phenomenally well, I would love to work with Clark University's uh, STEM program to build a lab inside of it. And even Loris, you know, their science program, because we want to share our, our love for beer and, you know, beer is art and science and, you know, merge those two or marry those two and then involve the students. Because I tell you, man, I put, I put up internships recently and it's easy to get the uh, nibbles on, on that because you're a brew pub. And it's trendy and people, it's cool and the environment's fun. So we ask each guest to leave a piece of advice for someone that is thinking about or just starting out in their own business. Here's what Keith's advice is. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing that hits my mind is um, you're going to have doubters, haters, um, cynics. There's a lot of people who are going to tell you your idea is stupid. Um, most of them, you know, want to pull you back down to where they are. They don't want to elevate you. You know, surround yourself with successful people, positive thinkers, you know. Uh, people that think outside the box that are against the grain that aren't worried about the status quo or what the ge the general person is, uh, you know, dra dramatizing, just, you know, listen to your heart, you know, you know, obviously, you know, keep you, you have, what is it? Two, uh, two ears and, and one mouth, you know, listen to people. You learn so much and, uh, and you're going to have moments where you're, is this, should I stop? Is it worth it? You know, follow it through, you know, what's the worst that could happen? You fail. So a lot of people fail. Sure, uh, who's my guy over there at Tesla? Um, Elon Musk has probably failed before he he had it at large. So, 
you know, just, just see it through and you'll have no regrets. If you fail, you fail. But if you don't get off and try it, it, that'll eat your life. What a fantastic story to hear about Seven Hills and the journey Keith took to get it open. We all know that everyone's mission is entirely different. And that's why we're doing this for the Breaking In podcast. We want to hear about the small business owners and their obstacles and their successes to make their ideas, their dreams come true. I can't thank Keith enough to sit down with me. Well, technically we stood during the interview and talk about his journey and everything that came with opening Seven Hills Brewery. So next time you're in Dubuque area, stop by for a glass of beer and some excellent food. Their burgers are fantastic and their Cuban sandwiches, they're not too bad either. So thank you for listening to the Breaking In Podcast. Till next episode, take it easy and live your life. The Breaking In Podcast is part of the Content Made Right Network. You can visit contentmaderight.com to check out all the episodes, show notes, and maybe find some new podcasts. Music by Tyler Van Hoist. <laughs>